The Cost of Goods Told podcast is made possible by the following sponsors. Chriswell Culinary aims to create a new standard of unique, affordable hot sauces that satisfies the more developed cravings of today. Bernie Brand Texas-style hot sauce is a boldly layered sauce with density and personality to proudly represent Texas. Go to BernieBrand.com to find a retailer near you. That's Bernie, B-O-E-R-N-E, Brand.com. Zero Point Organics grows and supplies microgreens for over 30 major restaurants in the Houston area. Consistently perfect quality in flavor and appearance, their microgreens will be the best you or your customers have ever had every single time. Go to zero, Z-E-R-O-pointorganics.com. Welcome to the Cost of Goods Told podcast. My name is Connor. I'm a chef and media producer. I am joined this week by Pitmaster Brett from Brett's Barbecue Shop out here in Katy. Brett, thank you so much for subbing in for Darren this week. It's great to be here. <laughs> it's good, good to have you, man. If uh, any of our listeners haven't heard uh, our episode with you, uh, go ahead and give that a listen. Uh, I think you'll chuckle the whole way through because I think it's just us sh- on each other for about we an hour a, and a half. We had a lot of fun. A few beers. <laughs> a few beers is right. A few beers. We've got some beers here today, too. So let's see how rowdy it gets today. Um, our, our guest this week is Alex Young um, from Fat Eatery. Alex, thank you so much for taking time um, to be on this podcast. My pleasure. Um, I know uh, you did a fabulous podcast with um, Eric Sandler, and then you did one with uh, Fedra Cook of uh, Houston Food Finder. Um, it's it's really nice to uh, see you getting out there, especially after uh, the write-up that Allison Cook did uh, almost two years ago. That was almost two years ago. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, Alex, for people who may not have listened to those podcasts, uh, do you mind giving us just a little bit of background? Because I know that you didn't necessarily start out in the restaurant industry. Oh, that go way back. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I started, I went to aviation school. Okay. Actually, I went to U of H. I went to U of H. Then one day, I was flipping over the book and you know, and then I was taking taking a class, and I go like, oh, that that professor don't know what he's doing. <laughs> so I just go. I left, and I went home. Back in the days, there was there were no internet, no nothing. So I was flipping through that uh, yellow pages, if you know <laughs> what it's called, yellow pages. Oh, from, yeah. Nowadays, I mean, nobody knows what's a yellow pages. Yeah, you, kids go Google yellow pages. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and so I flipped and I got like, oh, aircraft technician school, nice. So when they're okay, that looks very good. Uh, sounds like that I might want to learn. So I went went to the school. I graduate uh, top of my class, but I never worked on aircraft for one day. Okay, no, no. <laughs> So then, you know how to fly a plane. No, there's nothing to do with that. There's nothing to do with that. I do not know how to fly a plane. I did, uh, like with an instructor on the side, I did try a couple times. The more you know, the more scared scare I got. Yeah, so I never actually fly a plane by myself, no. Uh, then I, while I was in aircraft technician school, I, I got into like fixing cars, stuff like that. Um, so I was like working in my home garage and work on people's car, mm-hmm. things like that. So after that, I did not work on airplanes, so I went to help my friend for a little bit. Uh, then I opened my own performance shop. 
Because mm-hmm. uh, like back in the days, you know, those little Hondas, they go fast. Mm-hmm. That's what I used to do. <laughs> I uh, think you have a claim to fame too on yes. that. <laughs> yes. Uh, at the time, I ended up with having like the biggest import performance shop in Texas at the time. Awesome. It was like 10, over 10,000 square feet. I mean, we raced all over the country. Thing like, things like that. Uh, <laughs> so after the lease was almost up, um, I was like, I was like, oh, what should I do next? So I sold the shop to my employees. And then during that time, I had met a guy that's a chef, a Chinese chef. He said, I'm doing some catering order. You want to come and help me in my apartment? <laughs> okay, sure, why not? Then, okay, that's how it all started. I always loved cooking. Uh, then I learned like more professional way, how to do things in big batches and stuff things like that. Mm-hmm. I, I fell in love. So one thing led to another, I took over a delivery shop. It's like 700 square feet. I would say it's a hair smaller than breast shop. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty damn small. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were like, they, they were like eight, eight seats or so. I mean, when you have six people, you're like at 80% capacity already. Uh, it was on Fountainville. Uh, it's still there right now. Okay. Then they changed the name many times, but it's still there. So I was there for like almost two years. Then I got, no, this is not what I do. I'm stuck in the kitchen uh, all day, every day. No. <laughs> so that told myself I'll never be in the restaurant business again. Then you know what happened. <laughs> <laughs> so you put that jinx on yourself. Yeah, you yeah, asked yeah. for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a friend of mine told me, "Hey, I'm over there at bar. Uh, uh, let's, let's let's do it together." It was a Vietnamese bar on the west side of Bellway Eight on Bel Air. Okay. On the west side, you understand what I mean? Yeah. So it's called, people mostly call it Vietnamese town right. instead of like China, China town. Uh, we did like 99.99% they're all Vietnamese people. And I do not speak a lick, lick of uh, Vietnamese <laughs> till today, still none. So I was there for, for a while and uh, then we, what was after that? Um, then I started my point of sale company. Okay. Point of sale system. Uh, I did that for, for a long time, 14 years. Actually, many restaurants, I was running the restaurants and then I was doing the point of sale for restaurant at the same time. Oh, jeez. Yes. Uh, we, <laughs> we, it got to pretty good size. We had like 15, 15 employees. We serviced POS system all the way to like uh, Austin, San Antonio, even in Mexico. Wow. Yes. Uh-huh. Um, actually, I, so I had it for a good while. Un- until like, maybe five, five, six years ago okay. now. Then I, I sold the company to somebody else. Uh, I was like, so it's time to focus just on uh, the restaurant business. Okay. But during that, when I did the POS system, I learned a lot about restaurant business. Remember, I see the books. Right. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily it's going to help me anything, but I see people, people succeed, failed, uh, left and right, I see that see that on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. So I kind of see sometimes I see a little pattern here there. Learn a thing or two. That's huge. That's huge because I mean, being able to 
do that before, I guess there was a lot more information like on the internet or even in the school systems where it was like you could look at someone's P&L because, you know, people are just trying to share that information. Before, that shit was super secret, you know? Exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, I, I think, so. I mean, the th one of the many things I really respect about you is the fact that a lot of times in the restaurant world, people are either, there's not, it's not always a balance of business-minded to artistic. Mm -hmm. And I find you as one of the people, more than a lot of other people I know, that have that kind of middle ground where you do understand the business side just as much as the art of cooking. And, uh, you know, for a successful restaurant, that's, that's huge. Yeah, I think a lot of guys talk about like the cooking aspect of it as maybe 20%. You know, the rest of it is understanding the books, understanding the business side of things, you know. So. The money's not there, the restaurant isn't here. <laughs> yeah, right. But to uh, be honest, I really don't calculate food costs. Uh, a lot of people might not agree with that. I mm -hmm. do not food co calculate food costs dish by dish. I look at a big number. Okay. Because I believe in you cannot make that a lot of people say, oh, 30% food cost. That's how far you can go. You cannot go more than 30. Mm -hmm. I do have dishes go more than 30. Right. But at the same time, you just find a balance. At the end of the month, at the end of the week, you look at numbers, oh, it's at 25. We're good. Mm -hmm. And that's the bottom line. I mean, it's, you know, in the, in the barbecue world right now. Yes. Brisket <laughs> doubled in price over, overnight. So it's, uh, in the barbecue world, there's a lot of things that you just eat. I mean, beef ribs for one. You know, you're mm -hmm. never going to make the amount of money. You can't charge enough money. People won't pay for it if you charge what beef ribs really should cost. So right. you, you know, and that's, that's the whole idea is trying to find different things to offset those higher food. Exactly. Costs. Exactly. I mean, hey, if you have a choice, I mean, uh, no beef rib, uh, no brisket, no beef. We sell turkey and sausage. Yeah, all day, every day. Yeah. Hey, I was gonna say, he's talking like a pit master right here. Like, you sure you want my brisket? You know, because the turkey's damn good today. It's very moist. Actually, he has the best turkey I've ever tried. I actually, one time, Jacqueline brought me some. I go like, even uh, my chef was like, what, what is this? Was it turkey? <laughs> turkey is supposed to be dry and like chewy and everything. What the heck is this? So they didn't even touch the brisket. They just ate all, all the turkey before they even touched that. So a week later too, I mean, I test Jacqueline. I said, hey, give me more. Give me like, give me like four pounds, four pounds, five pounds. Yeah, we, we love it. So next time we only eat. Uh, turkey. I'm sure you want all the customers like me. <laughs> I would love for all of them now. <laughs> I was going to say, H-E-B needs to pick up turkey from every barbecue joint, you know, around here to show some support, you know, for yes. sure. So, okay. So, point of sale system. You're still running the restaurant. Yes. You're sleeping what? As much as Brett is, you know, like, holy At cow. one time, <laughs> uh, if you're familiar with Chinatown, mm -hmm. Uh, by corporate and Bel Air, yeah. that cross rate. Mm -hmm. I partner or I owned six businesses within half a mile. Jeez. In that cross rate. Uh, that was not too long ago. Uh, bar, karaoke, right. three restaurants, so uh, point of sale, point of sale company, the right. point of sale company, all that at the same time. <laughs> And how old are you at this point? Because I, I, I hate to say it, I can't, 
I'm for the eight. I'm for the eight. I'm for the eight. I'm in a world of trouble. My wife is going to be like, no, white people age like milk. Okay. Alex is here looking like a fine wine at 48. Damn. She's give it a few more years on this podcast and see if Connor's still married because if he's not putting up with this Guaylo no more, you know? Like, uh uh. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so then, I mean, I pretty much at one time, I just sold sold all of them. Okay. I just had my second child at the time. Uh, it's a little girl. She's like almost three now. So I took one year off, just like take a break and take care of the little girl. So during this, uh, somehow we found this spot. We live in Sugarland. I don't even live, I didn't even live, it, live in uh, Katy. Right. So there's a piece of land. I saw some pictures and stuff. I mean, somebody pictured to me. I go like, Katie. Okay. That's right. Okay. But uh, like I said, another, another interview before, I mean, this was one, one of the biggest, best decisions of my life is from the Katie Asian town. Were there reservations, though, in the fact that it's yes, Katie, sure. <laughs> Katie before this? I mean, going into any spot, absolutely. But I mean, and I'm not, and this isn't to dog Katie or anything like that. I've worked in the Katie area. I've lived in the Katie area. Um, it is it is a crowd that, I mean, if you look on the highway, is used to chain restaurants, um, kind of a, a simple standard format of restaurants. And even before, you know, Brett, you know, kind of got in there, you know, kind of, run-of-the-mill food not to be i mean there are obviously gems and pockets of, of some very interesting things you know and, and some places that have been here uh for a while but to say hey we're gonna build an asia you know an asian town center and throw in an h mart um to me it seemed extremely ambitious um and when i was looking at it i was like i bet you i could throw a taco shop up in there and make a killing from all the you know dads or whatnot that aren't you know quite into this type of food you know or, or what have you you know um when when the opportunity arrives what were kind of your reservations or what were your thoughts you know initially you know first I of all i had i had the restaurant on mason row less than four blocks from breads right now okay that was about 11 11 years ago where 99 both sides were still like the field. I mean, you see the, the, the biplane flying by to do a pesticide and things like that. Yeah, that was 11 years ago. 11 years ago. Failed. Less than a year. Failed. Completely failed. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, I mean, sure, they're there. They're, 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 sure, there was reservation big time. Yeah. yeah. Uh, at the time, I mean, I don't know. Because I had other restaurants before, and then some of them do very well. Uh, sure, I mean we have had our fail experience. We all do. Right. Uh, not everybody, but I mean at least me. Mo I failed fa many times. No, mo most people that are in this business, if they're at in a in a place where you are, there's been a couple of failures along the way. To you have to. I mean, there. just I mean, that's part of learning. I mean, and, and numbers alone. I mean, what is it? You know, ninety percent of restaurants fail, or what have you. Like, this is a crazy industry to actually try and get into, numbers wise and, and percentage wise. But it's not the end of the world. Like, even guys who have a five year ten tenure here in Houston, 
that's a pretty good run for a lot of restaurateurs. And if you've proven yourself, like, you know, unfortunately, uh, Bernie's Burger Bus shut down. But there's no way someone's not going to say this guy knows what he's doing. You know, like everybody understands the circumstances. Everybody understands the risks that it's like you will get another opportunity. You've proven you've taken it from food truck to X number of restaurants to X number of years. And you've had longevity. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, once you can, just that year mark is a big hurdle to pass. This guy's about to hit his two year mark. Two year yeah. mark, yeah, that's uh, right. <laughs> next, next Friday, we'll hit that two year mark. That's awesome. Yes. Oh. Um, so uh, initial development of this saying, okay, we're gonna do, uh, you know, Malaysian food here in, uh, thank you so much, um, here uh, in, in Katy, you know, it's a, it's a new development, you know, you're, you were kind of one of the, you were kind of one of the first true tenants here, correct? Third. Third tenant, yeah. Third that opened up. Yeah, exactly. Third that opened up. Yes, we got the, uh, the poke place, and then it was the, the fire place, mm -hmm. then it was us. Okay. Yes. And then... Not only are you opening up a pretty interesting menu, you're opening it up almost where, I hate to say it, a lot of food writers aren't typically coming out to. And that was kind of the cool thing about Allison Cook kind of venturing outside the loop, Eric Sandler talking about your restaurant as well. Um, to drive people out to Katie, I live on Barker Cypress and Clay, so I've got you know maybe a 20 minute drive down 99, but to come outside the loop for them to come out here, you're doing something special. Yeah, they had to bring like uh, oxygen tank, extra water. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, like I like to say, if there's no traffic, it doesn't take much longer than 20 minutes to get to Katie. That's that's true. No traffic. <laughs> people, people, people get that idea that it's a it's it's a journey. You're going out of town to go to Katie sometimes. And hey, it's a journey in town. You know, as much as I love Burger Chan and Fijis, you Absolutely. know that drive is 35 minutes. I was so glad that they opened up so that we could actually eat in there. You yeah. know, because taking that burger home. Just you're kind of used to perfection, you know? It's like barbecue. You're used yeah. to that perfect piece of brisket cooked perfectly, sliced right off of there. Yeah, getting it right off the block is a lot better than having it wrapped up and taking it home. Yeah. It's still good, no right. matter what. But, but when you get it right off that block, it's... <laughs> so first, I know you're, you're accustomed to operating restaurants and so forth at this point. This is a new area. This is a new development. This is a new clientele. What is your first, you know, month looking like as, as soon as you get doors open or even before you get the doors open? It was, I mean, as I don't care. This is my number ninth restaurant, number ninth concept. That is food service related. Uh, it's still everything, still, still so new. I mean, still uh, nothing is going to go according to plan. I mean, everything, mm -hmm. we, we, we still we still have hiccups. I mean, sure, for sure. Uh, but our favorite cook with Hilson Food Finder, um, I was lucky I got introduction to her. They did like a pre-opening tasting event. So we had a room full of people that I don't know. They don't know me. They don't care who the heck I am. Um, Serve this something called Malaysian food to them. Uh, then they gave, us, gave me a report card, what they think on each dish. Uh, what do they think? I think one of the most struggle that uh, many restaurants will have is when you first open, uh, do people like my food? 
is that too salty? Is that uh, not enough pepper? Is that too sweet? Or is it like, what, what do the customer think? Mm -hmm. So after that, Hillson uh, uh, Food Finder event, this was another like best thing happened to fat. So I told the chef, I told myself, I told my team, that's it, we are not changing Good. This is the way we're doing it. Okay, uh, luckily, we have never changed any recipe since day one. At, at least the one that we have had since day one. Most, most of the dishes, you mean the, the uh, curry chicken, the beef rendang, uh, honey chicken, stuff like that, all that, the, all the sauces for the, uh, stir fry noodles and stuff, we did not change anything. Mm -hmm. I believe, like from my experience, you keep changing if one person tell you, oh, it's too sweet, uh, it's too salty. And what if one person tell you it's too expensive? Are you gonna change everything? I, I cannot, I cannot change, change like that every day. Yeah, so we just stick to our game plan and um, just keep executing it um, consistently. That's the most important part. That's what I learned in all these years. Consistency is number one. Sure. You can have not the best food in the world. Look at the fast food chain. I mean, they don't the best food, but hey, you're damn sure that everywhere you go, you get the same food. Yep. Uh, every time you come in the fat, uh, you're expecting the same food. At least 98%, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. So that, that's very important. Um, so we, we still we still had struggle at the beginning, mm -hmm. like uh, how to like um, the operation, how to like make it quick enough, and then how much we sell every day, mm -hmm. things like that. Sure, I mean I'm sure everybody had that same 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 struggle at the beginning. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So for both of y'all, y'all kind of introduced uh, you introduced a pretty new level of cuisine. I assume that some of those people in that initial testing had no idea what Malaysian food was or what, you know, it was supposed to, you know, they saw curry and they were like, oh, it's Indian. I had no you idea know. what Malaysian food oh, was. Which is oh, fine. Like Thai, Thai curry time. or whatever. Right. When Brent, Brent was here first time, he had no idea neither. Oh, right. It was, yeah. it was one, I mean, there's been two experiences of my life where <laughs> I have eaten food to the point that I went into coma and this was one of them. The other time was eating at uh, a cellar, like a holiday at one of my good friends' house, Goran. They're from Serbia. They celebrate Slava. I got invited to this. It's 25 dishes, all different flavors. And I ate myself till I passed out. And I did the exact same thing when I went, when I came here. And I mean, it was just being someone who loves you know, trying different spices and getting creative with spices and stuff. When you come and eat stuff that you've never tasted these flavors, it's just like, I mean, it's just a, it's, it's crazy. I mean, your, your whole mind just blows up and it's like, what can I do with these flavors? You know? <laughs> but it is interesting because, uh, you know, I think people still struggle. You have the Food Network, you have everything on YouTube, you have everything that's going on on Netflix, and people still aren't introduced to these types of cuisines or they still don't understand it. And they may not even understand the price point. I know barbecue has gone through that, and especially barbecue and Katie. You know, again, not harping on Katie, it's just there's this new trend of restaurants, there's this new trend of dining um, that is kind of coming through um, that is changing the game and so forth, you know? Oh, sure, no worries. Well, I, oh, I mean, sorry. <laughs> on the barbecue side, it's, you know, back in the day, people weren't using the same kinds of meat as where, you know, some of the places are using now. I mean, you know, 
when you go from a select or even like a lower grade choice to a prime, mm -hmm. there's, there's a significant price change in there. And, you know, coming into Katie, I knew I was a little, little worried about, you know, the prices. And we, we started and kind of fluctuated as we went. Um, but, you know, I think if you can prove to people that you've got a product that's worth paying for, people will pay for it. Now, do you think, though, barbecue is like, okay, that's something I'm comfortable with. Someone who's coming in with a cuisine that people have no idea what it is, it's like, where, where, where's well, my, uh, you I, know, where's my dumplings, you know, or something yeah. like that. Or my general chow chicken. Exactly. I think it's a lot different now than even maybe five or six years ago. Okay. I feel like over the past 10 years, Katie, people in Katie have learned, they've been, a, they've adapted to a lot of new kinds of cuisine. Um, I feel like just the culture of Katie has, you know, gotten a little more diverse. Mm -hmm. And I, I feel like even with everybody, once they started, I mean, the Food Network channel, all these food deals are so popular now. So people have a better understanding of food for the good and the bad. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it's, it goes sure. both ways. But I think it, it opens people up to wanting to experience new flavors and new things where, you know, 10 years ago, they probably probably wouldn't have. Right. And if anybody who's not from the Houston area, because we do have some listeners even outside of the U.S., um, doesn't understand why we're talking about Katy so much, it's, it's like Houston has its own pockets. Like you have, you know, the Heights area, which kind of demands a certain type of thing. You have Sugarland, which is a completely different demographic. You have the Woodlands, which is completely different. Katy and Cinco Ranch are starting to become very different demographics than Fulcher, you know? And so all of these little pockets, and Katy has grown so significantly, you know, from what you were talking about, yeah. literally fields to this megaplex of, of so much. Um, that's why we harp on, that's why I'm harping on the, the fact that this is in Katie, you know, so much, you know, so that just for some clarity for some of those <laughs> listeners who may be like, what's the big deal? It's a Malaysian restaurant in a, in a city, you know, that's got this big population. It's like, no, 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 wait a second. Let me explain to you a little bit about Katie. So, um, so that's awesome. So for, for listeners who may not be familiar with Malaysian food, can you kind of give us the rundown of, of what that means? Malaysian food is like Chinese, think, think like it's like Chinese Indian. Mm -hmm. uh, they did British colonial days. And then you have Chinese Indian Portuguese okay. colonial days. Um, all that, all that combined is a big part of, big melting pot. Yeah. Big melting pot flavor. It's not that spicy. Do not think it's that spicy. Uh, most of our dishes, I mean, kids can eat it. Mm -hmm. Yes. Most so what dishes. would you say would be the difference between like your curry versus like a traditional Indian curry? Oh, it's, it's big difference. Right. It's big difference. The spices we use are similar, but uh, we just use it like in a very different way. Mm -hmm. um, we go shop in uh, Indian supermarket. Uh, all the time. Yeah, we use a lot of ingredients at the same, but we use it in a different way. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Well, it's like for me, it's just, it's not spicy, but there's so many bold flavors that all just come together in just harmony. I mean, it's it's good. The first time I ate here, <laughs> he was so happy. He <laughs> was very happy. Taking sake bombs. Right. <laughs> 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 Well, awesome. Well, I think, uh, I think we've covered a lot of ground for part one. We're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. Um, 
Brenny Brand Hot Sauce and Zero Point Organics, and we'll be right back with part two of the Cost of okay. Goods Told podcast. Can't wait. Sounds good. The Cost of Goods Told podcast is made possible by the following sponsors. Criswell Culinary aims to create a new standard of unique, affordable hot sauces that satisfies the more developed cravings of today. Bernie Brand Texas-style hot sauce is a boldly layered sauce with density and personality to proudly represent Texas. Go to BernieBrand.com to find a retailer near you. That's Bernie, B-O-E-R-N-E, Brand.com. Zero Point Organics grows and supplies microgreens for over 30 major restaurants in the Houston area. Consistently perfect quality in flavor and appearance, their microgreens will be the best you or your customers have ever had every single time. Go to zero, Z-E-R-O, dash pointorganics.com. Welcome back to the Cost of Goods Told podcast. Alex, you are pounding us with beers right now, so I am double fisting for those who are watching the uh, video version of cheers. this. Yeah, cheers, guys. I, looks like four cheers, people cheers, are drinking, cheers. you know, so... Um, he either wants this podcast to go either really, really well or really, really poorly, Brett. So, because I know my bro- my brain starts to <laughs> to go in the opposite direction. Brett may be uh, used to this type of fuel. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> and every time I talk to Brett, there's always alcohol enough. I don't think I ever talked to Brett hundred percent sober. I don't think Did so. We? No, 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 I don't think so. It's always over some drinks. That's how we met. We met at the bar. <laughs> Did you really? Yeah, we got met at the Star Bars, which is our, both of our favorite bar, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Is yeah. that South on 99? Is that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. okay. I know exactly <laughs> which one you're talking yeah, that's, about. That's, that's where we met. Yeah. <laughs> Me, him, and Jacqueline. That's how we met. Yeah. That's too funny. <laughs> well, if you met Jacqueline, you know, you, she, she probably met you before you met Jacqueline. So, yeah. <laughs> you are right on that one. Yeah. <laughs> we love you, Jacqueline. <laughs> Uh, we, we've covered a lot of ground in, in uh, part one, Alex. Uh, we kind of led up to, you know, opening up and, and kind of those, those, um, those challenges of, of not necessarily opening up in Katy, but opening up anywhere. If you don't mind me asking, this is probably one of the first restaurants that I think, I think I've seen you very present in, if that makes sense. And the exactly. fact that... Yes. You have done a lot of different events. I have seen your face a lot more with this restaurant than any other establishment. Is there a reason for that? First of all, this is like my golden child. I mean, I put, I cannot speak for all the Asian, but I'm Asian. Uh, we never look, always look at price when we buy stuff. Uh, we always shop around. Right. I'm not saying we're cheap, but I would say I am cheap. <laughs> but building fat is the first time in my life that, other than original quote from the contractor, uh, I never look at the price. I mean, to a certain extent. I mean, I'm right, sorry, right, right. I'm not going to go plate every single piece of thing here. But uh, when I want it done right. Because after all these years, I learned a thing or two that people can feel it. Like the brick wall you look at right now. Uh, I can do it with a PVC board that's four, four, four feet by eight feet, four like 50 bucks uh, to achieve the similar effect. And this is like 10 bucks a square foot. So it's different, it's different. Uh, like the light that you see in the back or, or right here, I mean, they, they're like imported from Poland. They're from the 70s. They're not a replica from China or anywhere or from India. They're actually from the 60s, uh, from Poland, from Europe. Just uh, imported in, import them in. Um, 
It's different. It's different. And then that brings to why one day why I stick my face out so so much. Uh, my my uh, general manager, uh, Mr. Kevin Lee, uh, he's like he's doing his own business now, but he still come here all the time, in and out, in and out. He kept telling me, hey, Alex, stick your head out, stick your head out, stick your head out. Then I said, why why stick my head out? I usually hide hide behind the back. I mean, why, why I gotta stick my head out? <laughs> then I realized that uh, the more I talk to people, the more I understand what our guests like or like the suggestion and things like that. So I stick my head out a lot more. But uh, this is a big thank you to Kevin. Uh, without him, I mean, like forcing me to stick my head out, I mean, I might be still in the kitchen all day, every day. <laughs> is, that, is that also due to, and this is not supposed to be a trigger question or, or anything controversial, but due to the demographic as well. Like, so when me and my in-laws, we go out to eat in Chinatown, there really isn't like a general manager kind of walking the floor, walking by saying like, how is everything? There's a very different level of service and so Correct. Forth, this is know. one thing, uh, sorry. No, 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 no. This is one thing that I want to distinguish ourselves to a typical Asian restaurant. Uh, the service is very important here. Uh, we strive every day, we train. Every day, every day we're learning something new, uh, how to do it better, look at the water bottle that we have, uh, look at the coaster that we ho hold the water bottle with so it don't make a stain on the a watermark on the table. Mm -hmm. Attention to detail is very important to us and the surface also. Um, you see them really walkie-talkie, I mean, I was in Chinatown myself at all my, all my restaurants before, all of them were in Chinatown except one, the KD. Uh, yeah, that's about it, mm -hmm. or the, my first one. Two of them. I mean, uh, you want something? Hey, table number four. <laughs> yeah, we. So after a while, I mean, I go like, why, why we don't use a walkie-talkie correctly? I, I know nowadays. I mean, some of them use it, but uh, we really like train all of our staff how to use it, when to use it, when not to use it. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, when someone is on the phone or talking to a customer, you look around. We are not a big restaurant. Mm -hmm. If you see someone is talking to the customers, don't talk anything unless you have an emergency. And you were even smaller restaurant before, <laughs> yes, before yes, this yes. edition. Yes, yes. Know, we, so. we had 10 and a half tables. Uh, front of the house, at one time, we run like nine people with 10 and a half tables. <laughs> Nine people, uh, two buzzer, uh, servers, and uh, hostess. Mm -hmm. Yeah, at one time we ran 90 people. And, and it's not to say that in Chinatown that there aren't restaurants that do have good service. I'm trying to remember the name of the restaurant. It has, it has um, I think it's off of corporate. It has the red lit uh, trees in front of it. Uh, that is called East Wall. East, East Wall. East Wall, that's yes. right. Yes. Phenomenal food. Phenomenal service and phenomenal platings also. Yeah, exactly, yes, yes, which yes. is really cool. And it yes. was kind of like that golden gem that you found. Like it was like, wow! Not only can I go here, but like my parents are kind of used to a level of service and they tip accordingly, you know. And so, you know, you take them there, and that was kind of their gateway restaurant to, yeah. you know, Chinatown type of thing. Yeah, Yiswa is definitely one of them with a good service for sure. Mm -hmm. yes. yes. And then when we came here, we kind of had that same level of experience, which was which was really cool because I think. 
it was maybe a month or two that y'all were here that Cindy was like, yeah, we got to come. I literally have a picture of Cindy, <laughs> myself, and then my, my little one at the time, you know, and we were just having an absolute blast yeah. because not only is the food incredible, but the service is incredible too. We're we trying to improve that every day. Uh, if you come back now, I'm sure it's even better. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. But it is, a, it is a tough thing to balance. I mean, you have to balance that too, even in the barbecue world, Brett, in that I think people expect barbecue at a certain price. People expect Asian food at a certain price. But then you're going to add that level of service on top of that, whether, you know, even even in barbecue places like that are small like yours, Brett, people still want to see you, still want to try and interact with you. Yeah. And that's not necessarily a unique experience. It's still a level of service that is... Oh, 100. I mean, that's, that's why I get on the block every day. <laughs> but, uh, you, know, it's not, you know, one of the things that really stuck out the first time I came here was... You know, you said it, detail. I mean, from ambiance to the place, to the service, to the food, to what y'all serve, the, like the different, like how y'all serve the rice and the little, the little things. And, you know, y'all do the sizzling beef on little skillets, almost like fajitas. I mean, it's just every single thought that went into this place was thinking of every fine detail. And it's, it's, it's amazing. You've done an incredible job. Thank you, thank you. From the outside looking in, that I know that as a difficult decision. And the fact that it's like every little additional thing that you add on to it, being at where there's almost a cap on the price point that you can put on it. Exactly, yeah. Is just shrinking that margin more and more. Yeah. You know, like if, if beef goes up, obviously for barbecue restaurants, that margin shrinks. Like brisket is probably not the most profitable thing. <laughs> not right now. It's yeah. getting better. It's getting better, but it wasn't great before either. No, it wasn't you great know? Um, and so battling not just perception, but battling, I guess, um, what would be competition costs and so forth, but being able to add all of those nuances is something very unique to Fat Eatery. Um, it's something that I appreciate, but it's also something that I know is, is extremely difficult to do as well. And I hope customers are recognizing it. Uh, so far, we get we have been like getting very good feedback. People do appreciate, people do notice that. Mm -hmm. uh, what we try to do, what we try to do every day, like an extra level of service mm -hmm. uh, that most of them don't expect mm -hmm. in, in the Asian restaurant. Yeah. I think it's also very cool that you said that you made these recipes and then you haven't changed them. No. There are other establishments in here uh, in the Katy Asia town that I think, not that they're bad or anything along those lines, but they have adapted, I guess, to the white people that come into their restaurant. And I have tasted a very difference because they are sometimes sister companies or parent company, you know, they're part of a parent company that has establishments in Chinatown, but they've had to adapt one reason or another. There's, there's no wrong call. I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna fault someone for adapting their menu or adapting the flavor profile of something because the surrounding area or their customers have demanded that. But it's been really nice to find something that's true and authentic um, in, in a spot like this, you know? And that's not to shit on anybody in the, well, in the, the center or anything the, along the, the those problem, lines. Though, I mean, you know, when you, especially if you're putting your heart and soul into something, once you start adapting and changing everything about your place, then it doesn't feel so much like your place, mm -hmm. you know? And you lose that just, that 
personal touch that you personally have with the place. And, you know, you, you find that all the time. I mean, you know, I know for me, I've had plenty of people tell me that I should do this and I should do that. And, you know, if you're looking for that, there's plenty of places for it. Sure. But if you're coming here, you know, you're going to get what you get. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's a hard stance to take, you know. But still, uh, if 10 people tell me, hey, this is too salty. Yeah, I might change it. Mm -hmm. But so that's why the food tasting event from Hillsville Food Finder that night was like so important for us. We got it. We got all this uh, white people. <laughs> it's fine. You can say it. Uh, uh, white people, uh, Asian people. We got all kind of people. Right. Uh, that said that they gave us a report card, enormous, no name, no nothing on it. Uh, so we read through every single one of them. Mm -hmm. and, uh, okay, that's it. Done. But without that, I might be, which way I should go? Yeah. Yeah. And then, especially when you first open, then you got two, two salty, three, two salty. And then the other five people say, oh, it's very good. What are you going to do? Mm -hmm. that you, yeah, so <laughs> so that, that's why that Houston Food Final event was so, so, so important for us. So yeah, that's it, done. Yeah. No yeah, more I, I recommend anybody opening up a restaurant before you open to have a group of people come in and eat your food and do it with an open mind and don't get upset because everybody's got different opinions. Sure. But it is good for you to get an outside opinion on your own food. Yeah, I think some of the best advice that um, we've had on the podcast is you may have an idea of what your restaurant is going to be. You may have an idea of what your menu is going to be, but your customers are going to tell you very quickly and a chef or an entrepreneur or a restaurateur almost needs to take that ego out of it uh, to survive. That's very tough for a lot of people. Very tough, very yeah. tough. It was very tough for myself, you know, even with my food truck and things like that. Like we would, we would literally do a uh, wild mushroom risotto off of the food truck. And when people came back and were like, you undercooked the rice, I almost wanted to be like, motherfucker, this is how it's supposed to be. Like, it's supposed to be al dente. You've been served mush your whole life. I'm doing it right out of a damn food truck, you know? So like- Eating the wrong rice. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but you have to take a step back. You have to understand where yeah. people are coming from. You have to understand demographics and things like yeah. that, you know? Um, I think it's really interesting too sometimes like, you know, no matter what the restaurant is in, in Chinatown or Koreatown or, or whatnot, um, I usually tell my wife, I'm like, I'm not looking for the white boy experience, you know, like, you know, we'll go to the, the Korean barbecue thing. And it's like, if I go with, you know, a white friend, we may get like six or seven sides or whatnot. But if I go with my sister-in-law, who's Korean, it's like, all of a sudden there's like all the, you know, awesome sides. I'm like, yo, I want this experience. How do I translate this to you, please? Because I don't, you know, and, and, and that not necessarily was like the disappointment in, in, in some of the things that are here in, in, in Katy Asia town, but it was like, damn it, I wish we could stand our ground and people would say, hey, I'm open to that new experience. And that's a very difficult thing for all, all walks of life, whether it's Asian, white, black, yeah, you know, whatever exactly. have you. Opening yourself up to something that you're not comfortable with, that you're not familiar with, and especially for food, which is very important to a lot of people. Um, I think it's just really cool that this can stand its ground and has been a pioneer in that side of it, as far as I'm concerned, that I've seen Fat Eatery as that, which has been really, really cool. Yeah, thank you. As you've opened, we've obviously faced a lot of different challenges. 
we faced a shutdown. We faced, uh, you know, reopening. Now, who knows what's what's coming down the pipeline with with everything that's kind of going on. What, if you don't mind talking about, what was the reaction to Katie Asia Town? Because I know Chinatown proper suffered drastically as it was called the Chinese virus. Um, as this perception kind of happened, there was a lot of you know businesses that were suffering. Did Katie Asia Town feel the same pains? I. <coughs> I cannot say for the whole Katie Asian town. I just said Chinatown got, I would say, hit like before Chinese New Year. That was uh, the end of uh, January. Yeah, for some people, if you don't remember. Then in February, uh, I see a lot of business in Katie Asian town got hit. I mean, they, their business got a lot slower. Maybe not as bad as Chinatown. But we were doing okay. We were lucky. Uh, we, did, we did not feel the real drop until the almost second week of March. But then the no more dining, right. shutdown thing happened. Um, I guess it was people think we're Asian time. There's a Chinese virus. Asian time, so we were okay, and uh, I guess at that time people were not that scared, aware of about this virus at the time. I mean, at the uh, our Chinese New Year party, we did like two seatings per day, two days in a row, packed, everybody had fun. Oh, yeah. I didn't get to come to that one, but I it was awesome. <laughs> it was fun. We got Lee Golden Dragon here, dancing, everything. <laughs> like lions, like everything. It, it was fun. But at that time, Chinatown was not the same already. Uh, but we were still doing okay. But then during like into February, now Asian time starts slipping, slipping, slipping. Especially the restaurant that do more Asian business. Like our neighbor, uh, the Chongwang Barbecue, mm -hmm. they slip, they slip a lot. Well, they do have it. awesome duck and pork there. They man. do, Holy they do, cow. they do. <laughs> so, uh, so in March, I mean, then that's when we feel the effect big time. So on the March third, uh, the third week of March and the last week of March, that's when, when the shutdown was. I mean, we. I was literally don't know what to do. I didn't know what to do. I mean, hey, what I should do to go? I mean, we're doing like only this much business. I mean, how many people I should put in the kitchen? How many people I should put in the front? What we should do? Mm -hmm. What we should do? So it took us like almost two weeks to sit down and figure out what to do. Yeah. So then turned to April. Okay, it start going better and better and better and better. We adapt, we change. We change every day. We learn and change every day. Um, curbside service, the banner outside, collaboration with next door, mm -hmm. the uh, barbecue. Uh, then it started getting better and better. So actually April was not that bad of the month for us at all. We were one of the lucky ones. Brett, did you see a similar timeline as far as kind of like how the business Yeah, dipped? it did. And I mean, you know, much like Alex, we've been very fortunate through this 
poker run. Not to say that you know the numbers are the exact same as they were, but sure. we've we've been very lucky. And you know, he he said it best: is you've got to adapt to that which you can't change. And if you can't adapt to what you can't change, then you're gonna have a real tough problem. And you know, we shut down for about four days. Uh, well, I guess one whole week, just because. We went from regular service to doing everything online, curbside, and I was like, "We gotta, we gotta, we gotta figure this out before we, you know, before we launch it." Right. So, and we shut down for a week, got our stuff together, and you know, it's it's worked out, you know, pretty dang good. Um, now, it, when people can't come into a barbecue restaurant, it kind of kills the whole vibe of barbecue. Sure. Uh, but you know. I'm just so fortunate and so thankful for all all of our customers to you know keep supporting us and you know it's keeping us rolling through hard times. So. I think the the hard thing too that we're facing now is like you were talking about curbside or like online orders and things like that is that as restaurants have to be as transparent as possible about a a uh, employee contracting the virus or, or you know testing positive for the virus they have to almost shut down at that point so it's almost like okay wait a second we've got all these contact points that we have to worry about outside of the restaurant let alone all of these customers coming into our restaurant for both of y'all I, I kind of pose this question is how are how is it that sorry how can you communicate this to customers in a positive light or in a way that is, hey, look, we have to take precautions ourselves to protect our employees, not just from natural situations, but also customer interaction. I will use Burger Chan as an example. Burger Chan is simply online orders only. They do not want to have someone come up and order online. I have seen customers have a negative reaction to that, but to me, it's like that business is taking every effort possible to protect its business, to protect itself from having to shut down, to have to get all of its employees testing. There was a big post that I, I, I shared on Instagram um, that the guy was talking about the cost of getting all of his employees tested. You know, it's three grand to do something like that, you know? Um, as y'all are moving forward through all of this, what are, you know, what are y'all doing to communicate to customers? What? Well, I mean, for, for us, I mean, we were, we were all online ordering and straight curbside for a while. Now we actually will take orders from cars, but still no one can come into the restaurant. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and we do that for the sole fact that I don't want to put my customers at risk and I don't want to put anybody else at risk. And for the most part, I'd say 90% of the people are very okay with that. And uh, there's a lot of people that are more than okay with that. You know, anybody taking food out or taking orders, they're always wearing a mask. You know, we take the right precautions. And, and this time you have to. Mm -hmm. And for those people who, you know, want to get angry because they can't walk in and order, 
go somewhere else. Okay. I mean, that's, you know, that's, that's it. And I mean, you know, I've got a very small shop, so what's the point? And you know, this is the way I look at it. They just want to you, come you, see you. you, 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 you can, I can be open for 50% and I can have four people inside the restaurant six feet just, away just like my and everybody restaurant. else is standing in the blistering heat or you can just sit in your air conditioning car and right. I can bring food out to you. So, you know, I, I feel like, especially when it's explained in that sense, people are like, okay, I get it. Um, and, you know, even, you know, until things are really fully open, it it just doesn't like for our place it doesn't make sense to even have people come in because right. it's just it's a risk that doesn't need to be taken um and everybody's adapted for the most part to the online ordering and especially now that we come out with ipads and take your orders that's kind of opened it up a little better so i, I think customers just you know from from my soapbox having this podcast i'm just trying to tell customers that even a 10 percent loss or you know you said 90 percent of the people even that 10 percent because the pie is significantly smaller i'm just asking for them to understand and for them to to realize this is an ever-evolving type of thing. This is a this is a thing that no one has a playbook to go by. There is no COVID nineteen for restaurants for dummies. You know, don't, book. You don't know. take it personal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's you know. surely not. For, but there's people. I've had a couple of people that, you know, they're angry. And I'm like, ma'am or sir, what, what what are you angry about? Like we're doing the best we can with what we got. Like and so is everybody else. So just, you know, let it be. <laughs> now, with the size of your dining room and everything, you were kind of set, Brett, as, you know, take it and go. Alex, you're used to full service. You're also used to a bar program. You're also used to beverage sales and things like that. Maybe the food isn't designed to travel, you know, that, you know, or, or be to go. Had you, did you have to make, a de you know, uh, adaptations to the menu or how you were, yes. you were doing things? Big time. There are some dishes that... Uh, do not travel very well. We just took it off the menu, um, and there we shrink the menu quite a bit. Uh, after when the normal dining, we, we we shrink the menu quite a bit, just to make sure that we can turn the ingredients fast enough, keep them fresh, and everything. Instead of like our menu was pretty small already, we shrink it even more. Yeah. On the Asian restaurant standard, yeah, our yeah. menu is very small. <laughs> okay, uh, I, I'm not like not like uh, uh, in and out burger. That's small, but yeah, but we're, we're, we're on the Asian restaurant. Which is not Tantan -tan big, no, so, tan -tan you know, <laughs> yeah, tan -tan Which I love Tantan. So yeah. I, uh, I, actually, I did, I did the POS POS system before too. Oh, okay. it was over 400 <laughs> items. Yeah, and then they all all of them are available, large and small. They're not on the menu, but it's there. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I know the inside scoop now. Do they do the same thing? Because is Jai Kitchen uh, a sister company of theirs? Uh, they are opening a something called 1010 Walk. Okay. Yeah, and uh, the Jai Kitchen is from the 1010 family. Okay. But then next door, uh, they are opening up uh, something called a 1010 Walk, which is like directly related, related to 1010. Uh, cool. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Sorry, Tantan has a, a very special spot because we went to a Rockets game with my now brother-in-law, but I was just dating my wife at the time, and, and then her brother got us tickets to a Rockets game. And then we went to Tantan, and I brought out the chopsticks, and he's like, yo, 
Even we don't use chopsticks, man. Like, yo, white boy, put those away. Don't try and impress us. You, you, you know? know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, sorry to go on such a weird tension on Tantan, but it's just, a, it's a fun story to share. So, um, so you shrink the menu. We shrink the menu and then take away something that is like, do not travel very well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we, at that time, be honest, for the first year and a half or so, I was pretty comfortable with my menu. Mm-hmm. I, other than one or two special items like fish that is seasonal, things like that, I did not really change the menu. I feel I was too comfortable. There could be like customer out, out the door. I mean, I line crazy, everything. I don't. I don't have, really have to work. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just. I just chill and then like make sure everything okay. Talk to customers stuff like that. I really don't have to like work work. But during the COVID, when the COVID nineteen started, I mean, there was no more dining. I had to like give myself a chance to do something that I never done before, like crawfish. Uh, I always love cooking crawfish. Uh, yeah, yeah, and and so yeah, we we. We, we brought out crawfish, uh, something new, okay. Ice cream, uh, that we never done. <laughs> <laughs> Ice cream, uh, things like that. We do something new that, that we know it travels well and something, something different. Uh, then we have the collab with the dumpling house in downtown. Mm-hmm. And uh, next door, we put, put the menu into our online menu system so people can order one spot for two restaurants to get delivered or pick up at the same time. So we have to be creative um, to change, adapt, everything. People ask, why, why? it's not even busy. Why, why are you at the restaurant all the time? I mean, it's not even busy. When I don't even know what to do the next hour, how to expect my guys know what to do? Mm-hmm. I don't even know. And then suddenly the governor said that, okay, oh, oh that's what's next. Okay, what I'm gonna do? Okay, so I have to be here the whole time. I pretty much didn't have a day off this whole this, this since COVID 19. But it's all good. Um, the feedback, I mean, what we did, I think our our loyal customer love it a lot. So we've been doing well. Well, I think you know this is not to take away from anybody who also was part of it, but I mean the the Houston Shift Meal, the yeah. uh, collaborations with uh, the different restaurants, whether it's the the barbecue, barbecue yeah. shop right right next door, or the the dumpling place, you yeah. know, and then the Iber and hot sauce, yeah, things mm-hmm. like that, yeah, you know, all of that was, you know, admirable, um, but also I assume. A, a headache. I mean, like, you know, you got to call it what it is, no matter what you do, whether it's a charity event, whether it's a donation, whether it's a barbecue festival, whether it's, you know, this Katie sip and st- or the, uh, the sip and stroll, those things are taking away from time and energy dedicated to your business. And at COVID-19, it, it literally demanded 24 seven of you. So to, to add on to that, you know, how, how are you, you know, bringing those people on board. How are you communicating that to customers? You know, we we just think I I just don't think uh, when I when I see something that oh that might help some someone. I don't even look. I don't even think. Oh, let's do it. Uh, how much time I'm gonna spend? I mean, how much less sleep I'm gonna get? I, I really don't 
We don't give a crap. If, if you're if you're in this world, sleep doesn't matter that much. <laughs> yeah. You can't let it hold you yeah. down. Uh, if if I can help, I mean, I, I just do it. I just do it. I don't even ask for. I just think that when you help someone, I mean, you don't ask for anything. It'll just come back in a much bigger right. way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, at the same time. All of this is going on. I know you said your wife has kind of the nine to five or whatnot. <laughs> yeah. There is a there is a demand on restaurant barbecue, especially you know as well chefs as you know where hey we've got to shift our focus and so forth. What is you know what is your wife thinking at the at this time? Like, did y'all have any hard conversations? Did you have, no no good no we did not talk about business. Okay, <laughs> not at all. You keep it you keep it very you know, separate. State, yeah, very very separate. Yeah. Yeah. Unless it's something very, very big. Uh, COVID-19 wasn't that, you know? <laughs> no. uh, she just asked, are you going to open? Yeah, what are you going to do? Then she looked at the book. Uh, she's a CPA, so look at the book. You okay? Uh, yeah. No worry. No worry. Uh, so, yeah. so even through this process, are there things, you know, I know that we're at 75% occupancy, I guess, currently. Who knows what it's going to be tomorrow. Four feet, you know, distancing, things things along those lines. It's an ever-evolving, ever-changing type of thing. Are there things that you have done during all of this that you feel like, hey, you know what, I'm just going to carry this forward, even if we go to a full normal? The online ordering, curbside pickup, uh, all this are here to stay. Okay. Delivery, things like that are here to stay. Uh, we hire our own driver. I don't know if uh, you have heard about the media or not before. We refuse to pay all this big corporation like uh, this Uber, Uber uh, or, or, or DoorDash, all this crap. No, we, we, don't, we don't pay them. 30%, yeah. 33%, whatever yeah. they want to Yeah, we refuse doing that. So we just hire our own in-house driver, keep two more people employed. To less people claim unemployment. I mean, I just think it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I I don't think the numbers work for the restaurants with these third party delivery systems. You know, it do, does not. They do for you know some restaurants. It's not good for anybody, but for some restaurants that have lower food costs, you know, they can still make a dollar. <laughs> but I mean, for something that's you know a little more, I mean. You know, barbecue, for instance, is a it's a very high food cost, mm-hmm. and if you're giving away thirty percent, you're not making anything. You know, and right. it's it's a it's a tough pill to swallow. Yeah, brisket, ribs, yeah. minus thirty percent. What what do you see for the future for yourself, Alex, or for Fat Eatery? You know, I know. Things are obviously ever changing, like like we've stated before. But do you see future expansion? Do you see you know something new? You know, possibly a a chance. You know, even even during these types of types of times, there are opportunities that do arise. Exactly. Uh, this is what I've been talking and looking to my mentor, my real estate broker, and see what opportunities opening up. And as a matter of fact, we are doing a banh mi, which is a Vietnamese sandwich shop next door. The permit just came out yesterday. Nice. <laughs> yeah, so technically we can start construction anytime. Yes. Very cool. Yeah. 
Um, for those who don't know what a bun mi is, do you mind explaining? It's what a, a Vietnamese sandwich. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> of uh, grilled pork with different ingredients in it, and uh, I uh, very lucky to have uh, Cook Lam, which is a very well known chef in town, Vietnamese chef, uh, to be our executive chef on that. Okay. Yeah. I, I love reading that. If she want to come on, you weren't gonna do it. No, if Cook Lam, <laughs> Cook Lam is not doing, I, I'm not, I'm not doing it. That was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> She was my and first and only choice. Yeah. <laughs> we did a uh, we did a bun me competition when I was a food truck, and we did a Jack Daniel's chicken liver pate. So I'm telling you, man, do it as a special, just at least once for me, please. A Jack a Jack Daniel's chicken liver, liver pate. People lost their damn minds for that, you know. So it actually got us in contact with uh, Lily Jang when she was doing TV at the time. Now oh. she's doing awesome real estate stuff. So. Uh, but it was it was really kind of funny that a bun mi sandwich not only from you know eating at Don's Cafe and so forth, but had this kind of culinary connection that you know Molly wow. Jang said, "Hey, come on our TV, you know, come on, I want to have you on the on on the TV," and literally blew us up. So it's it's That's really awesome. cool. So yeah, I can't wait to try y'all. So sure, sure, yeah. Um, Alex, for people who want to kind of follow everything that's going on. You mind sharing website, social media, things along those lines? Yeah, uh, ha uh, handles is Fat Eatery. Exactly. Just Fat Eatery, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, just Fat Eatery. Yeah. Don't look it up on the yellow pages. Google. Don't it, look at you know? yellow pages. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Fat Eatery and FatEatery.com. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Brett, thank you so much for being on this podcast, Absolutely. man. Absolutely, it was a pleasure. For those who want to follow your journey and everything, can you give us your handles? Uh, Brett's Barbecue Shop. There you go. Sweet we'll and simple. <laughs> Sweet and simple. <laughs> Guys, I, I really appreciate you both taking time uh, to come here and talk. Um, this, this has been an awesome podcast. Uh, Darren, I do miss you, but this, this was pretty damn good. Miss you too, Darren. <laughs> <laughs> Had fun then. <laughs> yeah, this is great. So for all the listeners, like and subscribe. Five stars, five stars. We're out. <laughs>